Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Um, so I, since we're starting with confessions, um, I've also got to confess to you that I was supposed to be on the door this morning welcoming you, but um, I forgot all about it. Um, so Peter kindly um, jumped in there, and uh, he did that. And so I could probably just now pass to Gary, because he doesn't know this part that he's speaking today. No, we're kidding. We're not going on to that as well. But um, uh, the events of this week, which culminate um, in the most wonderful day for Christians, um, as we get to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's from the grave to eternal life. And, and what I'm keen to do today is if you're going to journey, if you'd allow me to journey with me, as we um, look at the origins of this day, as it is in the Old Testament, and then understanding that, going into the wider scope of the word resurrections throughout the Bible, where we see multiple resurrections. So that's what the, the idea of um, today is. So this very day, I'm not sure if you're aware, but this very day, it's today is the actual day in the Old Testament called by a few different names. So this day in the Old Testament is, yep, is the, is the day which we have actually, it's called by a few different names in the, in the Old Testament. Um, but most common in our English language is to call it by the name, which is something we, we probably do know, which is the Feast of First Fruits, as it's found in Numbers chapter um, 28 and verse 26. And where I'd like to start is if you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn with me, we're going to start by turning to Leviticus chapter 23. And I'm going to read from verses 9 to 11. So while you're turning there, I'm just going to give you a bit of a, um, a what this day was about. So the biblical practice was that of a one-day festival, okay? The Feast of first fruits of, of the barley and the grain harvest. And what would be offered is a sheaf of the first um, grain. So it's a one-sheaf offering, okay? So what would happen? is that this, this grain, this one sheaf, would be presented to the priest and they would put it into their arms um, and then he would extend and lift up this sheaf of wheat. So that's what he would do. And then when it's in his hands, with its outstretched, he would wave it to side to side and it would be done in front of the temple. And then a handful of it would then be taken, it would be burned on the altar and the purpose was to acknowledge God's bounty for the harvest that would come. So we're just going to read that together in Leviticus um, 23 and verse 9. Now, I know it's up on the screen there, but um, it's far easier, I think, if you use your Bibles that um, you're comfortable with and uh, the versions that you prefer. So Leviticus 23, verse 9 to 11, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them. Oh, by the way, sorry, does, is anyone going through the one-year Bible? Yep, so there's a few that are going through the one-year Bible. This is the first verse. Um, it wasn't this verse. It was in Deuteronomy, but I don't know if you realize that the first thing you read today was the, this feast. It's the first part of verse 1 was actually talking about this day. It's pretty interesting. But because next year it's going to fall on, say, the 17th of April, and then the next one after that's the 9th. So Easter never falls on the same time. But just by chance, if you're reading through that one-year Bible, the first verse you read this morning would be this feast that we're talking about. So it says again in verse Leviticus chapter 23, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land, so this is the timing, 
When you enter the land which I am going to give to you, and you gather its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. And here's the timing. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now here is where it gets pretty cool. Um, if you look at um, uh, this festival began on the day the Jewish people entered the promised land and gathered its harvest thousands of years ago. It's a day that was celebrated or was to be celebrated every year since Joshua and Caleb entered the nation of Israel. And if you look at the image um, where you can see the purple writing on it, it falls um, during the time of Passover every year. So this is, this is it here. This is the feast of first fruits that we're talking about today. And it occurs um, right at the time. This is Passover, and Passover goes for seven days. So that's where it, where it falls, right in this section here. So, for example, last week and up until last night was the, sev oh, the days of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay, of which we know that Jesus was our Passover lamb. And like the unleavened bread, symbolizing that he's without sin, at the precise time during Passover in the New Testament is when he died. And it's a unique picture of having passed over those whose lives have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And today's feast, called the Feast of Firstfruits, following the Sad um, Sadducean interpretation, falls on the day after Saturday. Okay? So it always falls after the Saturday, which is the Sunday. And being this Sunday is the actual day of the Feast of Firstfruits. Jesus rose from the grave the same day that in Israel, even today, they'll be grabbing the sheaf of wheat and lifting it up and presenting it to the Lord. So it's the exact same day. So how amazing is that that we are today celebrating this event that happened all that time ago and has continued to go each and every year? And it's... a uh, this Feast of the first fruits. if you look at the Bible again in verse 11, you're going to see this. It says, The high priest shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. The purpose of the waving of the sheaf was that you may be accepted. That was the point of it. So in this, um, these Feasts of Israel, now you've got them in your, this is, the, this is the only time I'm going to show you the slide, but it's in your, um, yeah, in the notices there. But what I'm going to go to let you know is that in Leviticus 23, the Lord names seven feasts of the Lord. There's seven of them. Um, three of them are tied up in this first little grouping, which is um, Passover lamb. And then we have the, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which goes for seven days. And then we have the Feast of First Fruits. Okay. And then after that, um, what, I'm just going to run you through really briefly about what this represents so that you can get your head around where we're going. So that's what happened as Passover. That was up um, last week, the seven days. After the Sabbath is the day of first fruits, which is today. That's where we're sitting right today is in here. From the counting of this point, we are to count um, seven weeks until we get to the next biblical feast of the Lord. What happened in seven weeks after the rising of the first fruit? The Holy Spirit came. On the exact day, after counting from this day where Jesus rose from the grave, counting the, 50, uh, the 49 days, the seven weeks, is the exact same day that the Holy Spirit came. And that's going to be important, as you'll see shortly. And then, this is where we sit in time now. So we sit in this period of time, 
The church is in this age, beginning at Acts chapter 2, all the way through to the time. There's this other feast down here, which is called, um, they call it Rosh Hashanah, or the, the, the more correctly termed in the Bible is it's called the Feast of Trumpets. So it happens, and then we have this next feast called the Feast of Trumpets, and then we have this other one, which we won't talk about here, but it's the Day of Atonement. And then finally, we have this last one, which is called Sukkot. There are three resurrections in this um, timeline. So there's the first one, which is Jesus' resurrection, the first fruit. Then we have the second one, which is called the Feast of Trumpets. And then thirdly, there's another resurrection, which is called um, the Feast of Booths or the of Tabernacles. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to have a look at some of these things and how they all link up and it all pertains to this day. So, yeah, the idea is what is the meaning of this coincidence? That these two events will take place on the exact same day, the Feast of first fruits and Jesus' resurrection from the grave. So for that, I'm going to let Paul explain it. So if you turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to have a look at verse 20. And it's like Kevin said, it starts off with a fact, not a maybe, not a it could be, but it starts off with a fact in 1 Corinthians in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, but the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Do you see what Paul's linking? For since by man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. There is an order that's coming. Um, it says Christ, the first fruits, and after that, those are Christ at his coming. So what Paul's trying to tell us here is that Jesus is the first fruits, and it's absolutely no coincidence that he rose on the very day at the time, the high priest was lifting up the first fruit to present to the Lord, only a one sheaf. Um, but there's also something else here in verse 23 of that. It's of real interest to me where Paul says these, this phrase, but each in his own order. What does he mean? Each in his own order. Um, so just to clarify first, um, there were people before and after Jesus that were resurrected from the grave. Um, I'm going to put some of them up there. So even Jesus himself um, raised three people from the grave. That was the widow of Nain's son. So remember, there's a coffin coming out, and he sees this procession. He goes and touches the coffin, and the guy sits up, and then off he goes. So that's, um, there's Jairus' daughter, and we know of Lazarus. So there's, there's other resurrections. Also, Peter and Paul um, raised people from death. Uh, and the one that makes me laugh the most, though, is it something that happened at this time of the period as well. It's exactly at this time of the year. Um, and it's found in Second Kings. Don't turn there, but I'm just going to tell you the story. Um, there's, the Moabites would invade the land of Israel during the spring, so it's obviously in our, in our autumn, so it's this time of the year. The Moabites would invade the land, um, and on this particular day, there was men um, burying someone that was obviously dead, or well, obviously, or they, they wouldn't be burying him. So anyway, we get that. And, and as they're doing so, we're told that they spy a band of raiders um, and these guys freak out and hastily throw the corpse into a tomb. It just so happens that the tomb that they throw this body into is none other than the prophet or the famous prophet, Elisha. Okay, and um, after having thrown the body in, um, these men hightail it out of there for their own lives. 
And then we're told, as soon as the thrown body touches Elisha's bones, that the dead man revives and jumps back to his feet. Okay. My question is, <laughs> what's he to do next? Like, okay, so you think of this. Now, we're never actually told in the Bible. We're not, we're not told what happens. But I, ha- I have this strange thing in my head. So I imagine something along the lines that the first thing that he sees is his so-called mates running like the wind, um, going for their own lives, and he just sees them peeling out, running away. Okay, and that with a good head start on him as well. Okay, then turning, he sees this a band of raiders that are starting to bear down on him. And he quickly realizes he's now so close to death after being um, resurrected only seconds ago. Okay, but with this newly resurrected body, say 20 years younger, healthier, fitter body, he then sprints up to this group. Because um, you, you never want to be the last person <laughs> when, you're in a, when you're fleeing, right? Just like in a game of tag, you never want to be that last person. Um, and as he catches and he passes his mates, you could only imagine the look on their faces as they see the guy that they just buried running past them. I think it's brilliant. And we're not told that, but we're just told he jumps to his feet, the band of raiders are coming, they flee, and then what's this guy to do? But that's what happens in my head. Anyway, both in the Old Testament um, and the New Testament, we have people that are raised back to life. So why is Jesus then called the first fruits? Um, And well, there, there is an obvious answer. And that is that all those who got raised back to life again rose to natural life, never to eternal life. Okay, so everyone that was raised in the Old Testament, it happens even in the New, were raised back to natural life, but never to eternal life. They died a natural death for the second time, and even my sprinter friend is gone. Um, He died that second death. So Jesus' resurrection is, however, completely different. And once that he rose from the grave, um, yeah, he conquered death once and for all. So what does that mean when we read these words? It's highlighted there in that Corinthians passage, but each in his own order. What, what is Paul trying to allude to there? Well, there is a first um, set sequence of resurrections like that of Jesus' type a sequence of physical, bodily resurrections that will never see death again. And it started with Jesus as the first fruits, meaning that there are more fruits to follow. If Jesus is the first fruits, just like you hold up this feast, then you're waiting for the other to be coming, the bounty of the harvest to come in. So Jesus first rising this day, this exact day over 2,000 years ago, is followed then by the second group, and that happens almost simultaneously in what is described as in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. So if you turn there. And this is going to talk to us about the church saints, which are both past and living. So if we can turn there together. And the context of this is that people are thinking, Jesus promised that he was coming back again. But at this stage, some of the believers were dying. And so as people were seeing other believers that are starting to die or perish, they're thinking, what happens to these guys? Like Jesus said that he's going to come back, but these ones have passed. What happens to them? And so Paul gives us the answer to that question. And he says this, "Um, but do not be um, uninformed. This is verse 13 of um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep 
so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do, um, who have no hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring him who have, uh, will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, now this is where it gets cool with those feasts again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. That's that feast, the Feast of Trumpets. And then it says, and then the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive will remain, and we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. So if we look at what it is, um, happens, first of all, we have um, the Lord Jesus being the first fruit. Okay, and then secondly here, we have what's described as something called or known as the rapture of the church. So it contains both those that have passed, the past saints and the living saints, but it does not include the Old Testament saints. The Acts, so the church begins in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down, and from Acts chapter 2 all the way through until this event that we have presented with, to us, which is the rapture of the church, those that are living, so if we're believers and we're living, we go, but at the same time, or actually just preceding us, is that all those that are believers that are in the grave will also be resurrected, physically, bodily resurrections, and it's a resurrection to eternal life. Okay, thirdly then, what about the Old Testament saints? So if you turn with me to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, and the context of uh, this one in Daniel chapter 12 is talking about a period of time that's still yet to come, which we call or we know as the uh, term called um, the tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's an event that happens on this earth that has never, ever happened, uh, anything that even compares to it. Well, nothing, will be, um, nothing will compare to what this event is going to be about, um, a seven-year period. And I'm just going to read to you what happens. So in this context, we're going to, um, Daniel's going to tell us what happens to some of these Old Testament saints. Now, I'll read from verse, uh, yep, verse 2 of Daniel 12. It says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people. So that's, I don't know if you've ever realized that, Michael, the archangel's job, is to stand guard over the sons of your people. That's part of his, his occupation. Um, it says, will arise, and there will be a time of distress as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who was found written in the book, will be resurrected. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life. But notice the timing of it. It's not before, it's not at the rapture of the church, it's after the period of the tribulation. Um, and if you look at those other verses that are there, it'll take you to the same idea. It happens for the Old Testament saints. It's after the, um, after the tribulation. So fourthly, or thirdly, and I'm not sure of this because of the timing of things, um, is that there is another resurrection. So, um, and that, uh, that's, this is mentioned um, as being resurrected about the, same, about the same time, and that is the resurrection of what we call the tribulation saints. 
And that's found in Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in there. So if you can turn your Bibles to Revelation 20, um, you're going to, to see what, uh, what it's talking about here. Now, this is also going to be talking about the same period of time that Daniel's talking about. In its context, it's following on from the period of the tribulation. Um, but he's going to be talking about a different group. Um, and that is, it's not the group of the Old Testament saints, but he's going to be talking about the people that died during the tribulation. Okay, and after that, we will see. So I'm going to read from verse, um, verse 4 of Revelation 20, and it says this, Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads and on their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This sequence is what I believe um, lets us see that this is the completion of what is called in Revelation, as you're going to see it shortly, the first resurrection. So if I just lay this out really, if I can, the best I can for you. There's Old Testament saints that have passed. They, they, they died, and they, their bodies are still on the ground. Um, their spirits, once Jesus rose from the dead, took their spirits up to be with them in heaven, which is why we, when we pass now, it's the same thing. When we perish, our bodies are in this ground, but our spirits go to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So that's where the Old Testament saints are. They're there in their spirits, but not in their bodies. Okay. And then all of a sudden, we have the first resurrection of eternal life, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the first fruits. He is the first one that rose from the dead and is living forever. He's eternal. But then after that, we have another resurrection. And this is the group that starts at Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit came. This is the beginning of the church. It's not the Old Testament. The church saint starts at Acts chapter 2 and goes all the way through until the Lord calls us. And that's the church age, which is when the Lord comes back. But just before we disappear, all those that have passed before us up until Acts chapter 2 are also part of that church age. And then they are, and we're, that's the, the resurrection. After that, it's told that we go into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, and if you've ever seen the Passover and the meal and what it represents, what did Jesus say about the cup that we're going to take um, shortly? He said, I'm not going to take of this cup again until we have the marriage supper, which is in, in heaven. And that's why the Lord Jesus didn't take the cup at the time of the, um, the Passover, on the last Passover that he took. So we have the church up in heaven, and there's this marriage feast with, with the Lord. And while that's happening, it's at least a seven-year period, or could happen previous to that, but then we have this terrible time known as the tribulation. And the church aren't there. The church is gone. But those that are left are going to be going through that tribulation, and there are going to be believers during this tribulation, but they're not church saints, okay? They're not in the church, but they're part of the, the called the tribulation saints. And these ones will tell people about the Lord. We know about this 144,000 and all these things that you hear in the, in the tribulation period. Well, they'll preach the gospel, and many of these ones will die. They'll perish because of their, um, their devotion to the Lord. But again, they're not part of the church. However, when the Lord Jesus comes the second time, so the, when he comes to this earth, then the tribulation saints will rise, 
and so will the Old Testament saints in bodily form, and we have the completion of what is called in 1 Corinthians, the first resurrection, which is what Paul is talking about. Um, however, there is also, unfortunately, there's a very, very sad second grouping that will be also resurrected. Um, and for that, um, we're just going to see it in uh, Revelation 20. Um, and in these uh, next verses, you're actually going to see both sets of resurrections. He's going to tie up both of them. He's going to talk about the first and the second resurrection. So in this one, if we, we'll see in verses 5 to 6 that the end of the first sequence, which is known as the completion of the first resurrection, and then we're going to go to verses 11 to 14, we will suddenly see a stark contrast in what God calls the second um, resurrection. So let's have a look at this. Um, and we're going to start in verse 4 again. The only reason I'm going here is to build you into this context, and then you'll see verse 5 and 6 will complete the first resurrection, starting at Jesus, ending at this period. So let's have a look. Verse 4 again says, Then I saw the thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads and on their hands, and they came to life, and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's the tribulation saints. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection is completed at the point where the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, are resurrected from the dead. Okay, and it says, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests um, of God and of Christ and will reign for him a thousand years. Now, if you jump down with me, um, at the completion of that first resurrection, jump down to verse 11. Um, and this part is, um, in its context again, is going to tell us about what happens after the thousand years. Um, so just get your heads around if we um, little loss of what's going on. We have the tribulation. Um, the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints have come back to resurrection again. The Lord comes back, and then there's a reigning on this earth. King David will be reigning on this earth. The Lord is the king overall, or Jesus. And it will carry on for a, a period of a thousand years. The big difference is in this period of a thousand years, Satan is also bound. At the moment, we're told that he is the prince of the principalities of the seaways. But he will be bound for this thousand years, and there will still be people, natural people, giving birth in the millennial kingdom. It's, it's like it'll carry on running, but it's a period of a thousand years. At the end of this thousand years, we find out what happens here. So in verse 11, it's, it's not good reading. Um, so it says in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. 
and they were judged, each one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now these events will take place after the thousand-year period, which is known as the Millennial Kingdom, and they are truly horrific. Um, you will see there's a, it's for this to take place, for the people of all the earth to rise up again, all the dead. So anyone that you can go this past will be raised back to life. Yes, we are going to be raised, but this happens all previous to it, but there is another resurrection that's going to happen after that thousand years. Um, it, they come from the sea, and if you think about the sea, um, and what it represents, especially symbolically, like of Noah, it actually represents the curse. Um, so we have the sea. They come from um, judgment, from, uh, their, from death, and their location is found in Hades, which is hell. So that's the place that they're coming from, and they're going to be standing back up. Um, and then it says that they will be raised to stand before the great white throne. Um, and this is where it gets, you know, pre pretty scary. Is if you, if you, if you think about it, what's going to happen is that there's an interesting thing. So all those that are believers, we will get judged previously. So we'll have this marriage supper, but we're not going to be judged as believers in the Lord Jesus. We're only going to be judged for what we did for Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You will be judged on what you have done for Christ. You will stand before him and you will present yourself and then he will reward you for the things that you have done for the Lord Jesus. That's going to be your reward. And that will carry on into the millennial kingdom and, and afterwards. However, for the people that rise after the thousand years, they will also rise but stand before the great white throne. But they are going to be standing before God Almighty with their deeds in their hand or written in books. So all of the deeds that they have done, they are going to go before the Lord and he is going to see what their works are. What, what have they done? What makes them be able to get into the kingdom of God? What works are you going to present? And if, you, if you're not a believer and you don't know the Lord, just think about this. What are you going to present to the almighty God that will, will tempt God for you to go into his presence? What work can you do? What will be something that you can present to him that he'll say, well done, I'm going to bring you into the, into the kingdom. And so once that happens, you're going to have a book which will be opened and then all of the deeds and the things that you've done in this life will then be read out and seen if you were worthy to enter into God's presence. But there's also, we're told, a second book, which is called the Book of Life. And this book is also going to be pulled out. Now, I don't know if you've really thought about that second book, but when Jesus died on the cross, his death and his resurrection was sufficient that everybody that has ever existed in this world, from Adam until the last man is born, it's, it, in that book, what Jesus has done is sufficient for you to have your name put in that book. You, everybody's names were written in that book when Jesus died. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody's name is written in the book of life because Jesus paid for everybody's name to be there. 
And this time in front of the judgment, you'll be having your own deeds of what you'll present to the Lord. And then as you present these deeds, or as the Lord reads them out, he's going to go, your name was written in the book of life. And he'll, they'll turn to it to see if your name is still there. And it's, it's not the fact that Jesus hasn't done enough for you to get you there. It's that you've removed yourself from the book of life. He's done everything possible to get you there. And you're there, it's highlighted, your name's there, but you can withdraw that name by saying to him, I'm not going to get to you, God, by the way that you've done it. I'm going to get to you with these works of mine, these deeds that I've done to present it to you, Lord, so that you will be pleased with me. And that's the very scary thought because those that come up in the second resurrection are going to be those that will present themselves before the Lord, their deeds not being sufficient, and he will take them and he will throw them into the lake of fire. It's a very horrible thing to think of. So please, if I, if I could implore you by the, the living God, the one that actually lives, who rose again this day, to make sure that you are not part of the second resurrection. Please ensure that you're not part of that second resurrection. But rather by trusting in and making the Lord of your lives the person who conquered death, who is the first fruits of resurrection to eternal life. And he invites you to be the follow-up fruits of his resurrection. That's what he's inviting us to do. So he who rose from the grave this very day, all those years ago, will raise you up to eternal life if you believe in him. Um, he is no other. If you're trying to figure out who this guy is, he is no other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God. And I think we would all do well to listen to him. It's an amazing thing that happens on this particular day that when Jesus rose from the grave, the priest having his arms out took the sheaf of first fruit which represents the Lord Jesus, and he was lifted up as a symbol, presented to God, and waved as the one that rose from the grave. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you countenance, or may his countenance be upon you and give you rest. Let's just close in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you that we can come this day, Lord, to remember um, there's lots of resurrections, Lord. There's lots of things that took place, but there's only one that's eternally important, Lord. And that is this day, the remembrance that you, Lord Jesus, rose from the grave. We thank you that what it represents, Lord, is that you came back to life. You live eternally, Lord, and you are the first of the resurrection for all of those that trust in you. Um, Lord, help us to be worthy, Lord. Our works and the deeds that we do are not to get into your kingdom, Lord. But Lord, because of what you've done for us, may we work for you. May we, Lord, just appreciate what you've done. And may we, Lord, just keep continually giving you thanks and the praise that is yours and yours alone. And Lord, help us to tell as many as possible, Lord, about those, the, um, the consequences, Lord, and about what the second death means. Lord, help us to have a real heart for the lost. Help us to, to love people, Lord, the way you loved us. Lord, you are so willing that you would die for us. May we, Lord, also be so willing to serve others and to, Lord, tell them about the great and wonderful works of our Lord and Saviour. Lord, we thank you for raising, rising from the grave this day. And we just give you praise and honour in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.